Welcome back to Yes X or No Audio. Hello, audience. Welcome to another Week in Review. We are approaching the end of week 34. It is currently just after 11pm on Saturday, August the 26th, 2023, here on the eastern seaboard of Australia. Of course, most of the weekend is still to occur in the news-generating capitals of Europe and the US. And if anything interesting and significant happens, I'll stuff that into next week's Week in Review. For I have a busy day tomorrow, and I might be a little too weary to make uh, this program tomorrow. So, usual program, we go through the anti-war headlines, uh, then look at some other interesting articles, and there's only one article published by the newsletter this week, which was a yeah, a bit of a bit of a shot at looking at what the Ukraine, what we can learn from the international geopolitical moment from the war in Ukraine, if you start it back in 2014. Uh, so that will be automatically reserved. However, I'm going to do a switcheroo. I'm going to comment on that a little bit, but only based upon my reading of uh, Bricks 11 by Pepe Escobar, which in my view is the most important article of the week. So, off to anti-war. And we'll start with Africa slash Niger. And we have Niger Hunter holds talks with ECOWAS delegation by Dave DeCamp, who's back at it. So he's the author of just about everything uh, in the last week at anti-war. And the articles this week are ordered oldest to newest per topic. So... That was from the 20th. So the, um, the junta had a chat with ECOWAS. Um, and then there's the US launches airstrike in Somalia. So this is other parts of Africa, right? So Somalia is on the east coast. Uh, claims five Al-Shabaab fighters killed. Uh, so that's just the US doing its thing. Although Al-Shabaab, uh, I don't know, again, Nick Turst is my go-to reference on this sort of stuff. But they're pretty nasty peeps. But it... The question there is, why the hell are the US doing this? Why aren't they supporting the local government uh, to assist, or, you know, uh, police or whatever? Why, why the hell are they doing this? Anyway, uh, and then we have uh, Algerian radio report says France is planning intervention in Niger. Go figure, the former colonial masters want in. Yeah, so... So not an awful lot happening there, a bit, um, that the Junta uh, decided to speak with ECOWAS makes sense because there are, these are people from the from the local region rather than having a chat to, um, what's her name, Miss, uh, Miss Koo. Anyway, so not too much going on there. Uh, and then we have Ukraine-Russia, and it's the usual story. I'll just fly through this. Netherlands-Denmark. Uh, pledged to provide Ukraine with F-16s, which, as we know, won't make a bloody difference because they don't have any trained pilots and that's not going to happen for months and months and months, but whatever. Uh, Ukrainian drones disrupt Moscow airport traffic for second day. So that's more Ukrainian drones causing trouble around Moscow. Polish president says Russian nukes in Belarus change security architecture, to which, no doubt, the... uh, 
Russians, and particularly uh, Putin, would say, well, you guys hosting those missile silos, you, you know, changed the whole architecture too. And, the, you know, you, you guys in Romania, that, that's, the, that's, that's where the real change happened. Get with the times. Uh, and then we have White House tells Ukraine that Congress will back more war spending. Go figure, you know, military industrial complex getting more of the taxpayer's dollar and happy about it. And then we have Pentagon to start training Ukrainian pilots on F-16s in the US. And I watched a few uh, interviews on judging freedom and the general consensus is that this doesn't make it no different whatsoever the whole F-16 thing. It's just another opportunity for the military-industrial complex to make more money. Please shoot down these old F-16s because we want, you know, the nations that are getting rid of them to buy more. Thanks a lot. All good. Um, so, yeah, so not an awful lot happening on the Ukraine front in, you know, this week specifically. And uh, then uh, China's a little more interesting. So here's the sort of eastern, sorry, what did we call it? Yeah, Western Pacific. China. So the big one, of course, was US, Japan, South Korea announced multi-year military exercise plan. Um, and that was back on the 20th, so fairly early in the week. Uh, and then we have China launches war games around Taiwan after so, yeah, after Taiwanese uh, vice president visits US. They were a bit pissed about that. And as I've said in last week's uh, review, I think they're a bit dumb doing this. I'm not quite sure why they're playing along with this. There might be more to this than I've yet to see. But anyway, and then we have Australia's biggest warship drills with the Philippines in the South China Sea. Yeah, that's that's a really clever Australia. <sighs> and then we have China hits back at the US, Japan and South Korea after summit. So this is in response. This is the day after the summit article by DeCamp. Um, with a big multi-year military exercise plan. Um, and then China says it allowed Philippines to resupply grounded ship on disputed reef. So they were saying, you know, get, get that thing the hell out of here, but they've at least allowed uh, resupply, which makes sense, you know, water, food, whatever. Um, and then we have the State Department approves sale of F-16 search and track systems to Taiwan. So not to confuse the F-16 stuff to do with Ukraine. But, of course, they'll be happy about that because that's, you know, selling more stuff to, you know, um, the military-industrial complex gets to make more money. Everyone's happy. So, um, yeah, I'd, I'd say the big the big thing there was the uh, US-Japan-South Korea uh, multi-year military exercise plan summit thing. Um, and then we move on to the Middle East. So uh, the oldest article is actually more interesting, but I'll... Start with the other. One Syrian soldier wounded in Israeli airstrikes near Damascus, which is to say this happens every week. Israel is just still attacking Syria. Completely illegally, compl without any mandate or support from anyone, they're just blowing the crap out of stuff in Syria, flying into their airspace, shooting missiles. Being... I'm still a little uncertain as to why it is that Russia's letting them do this. Because I know that Russia could stop this if they wanted to. So there must be more goings on here. I can sort of get some of it, but I'm, I reckon Assad must be sending his top diplomat off to have a chat with you know, the relevant counterpart in Russia and saying, Oi, we're, we're a bit sick of this. Um, but anyway, it continues. Um, 
And the other one was, because uh, I mentioned, uh, I think it was last week in the Week in Review, about the tanker sitting in the uh, Gulf of Mexico, you know, full of Iranian oil. It's like, oh, we haven't finished stealing that yet. Uh, uh, and here it is from the 20th of August. Tanker carrying stolen Iranian oil unloads near Texas, i.e. in the US. They finished stealing it. Well done, US. You, you finished the job. And then we have last is an article on BRICS. BRICS invites six countries to join bloc in major expansion, writes Dave DeCamp, and we'll get to that via Pepe Escobar. And that is the end of the what I consider to be significant articles from anti-war this week. So, pretty quiet week. So, in the interesting other articles category, we start with uh, Niger, slash Africa. It's all about Niger. So we have... An article by Vijay Prashad, who we recall is an historian. In this case, he looks at the anti-colonial movements in Niger uh, and goes back to some of their struggles since the 60s. So it's a, it's a deeply historical article and it looks at uh, left-wing political uh, figures, socialists basically, uh, and 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 some of their uh, spoken word art and and, and so forth. Uh, so it's a it's a it's a historical delve into the cultural history of anti-colonialism in the last fifty odd years, sixty years, uh, in Niger, by Vijay Prashad, published at Consortium News. The next one is by um, M K Badrakuma, uh, looking at Niger, and he goes into quite some detail on what's going on at the diplomatic level. The US has assigned a new uh, uh, head diplomat to their mission in Niamey, uh, who has extensive ex- expertise on uh, Africa, and from that he concludes that the US is pushing for a uh, diplomatic solution. There are also uh, strong ties between the uh, Putschists uh, who've been collaborating with the U.S. military for over a decade, so there's connections there. Uh, and so, yeah, it's a very interesting article by Badra Kumar. It's in quite some detail uh, on a number of different topics to understand that it's it's not a simple binary, you know, that Russia or the U.S., it's more complicated. Um, so if you're interested in that, I recommend it. That's Badrakum is always worth reading if you're interested in getting into some of the sort of nitty-gritty details about things. He's very, very good at the diplomatic side of things because he's a former diplomat, so he understands these things. Um, and then moving on to Ukraine slash Russia, um, interesting article by Bernard from Moon of Alabama called Sunk Cost Fallacy in Ukraine. And the sunk cost fallacy is the fact that when people have already invested uh, a fair amount of time or money into some project, uh, then they start making uh, often poor decisions uh, because they think that if just a bit more effort is put in, then we'll get there, and then all of this effort that I've already expended uh, will be it'll have been worth it in the end, uh, which is not always such a clever plan. I mean, look at um, uh, gamblers, for example. They make this this sort of mistake all the time. But that's more of a product of gambling. This appears in lots of other areas too. So that's interesting enough. Then we have um, Ukraine former communist leader arrested. 
uh, originally from People's Dispatch, but republished at Consortium News, which is just another case of the political repression that's been going on in Ukraine since the coup in 2014 with the you know, removal, deregistration of political parties, the agglomeration of all media, sh- media under one um, uh, government-controlled group, the whole damn thing. So it's just an article, another article. Just to remind everyone that there ain't no democracy in the Ukraine, it's a fucking mafia, <laughs> corrupt mother... Yeah, not a free media, no free political party, all of that. Um, and then I threw in one here which was republished at Sheer Post by David Camp, okay, from uh, Andy War, called Putin Comments on uh, Prigozhin Plane Crash, because a lot of that's been doing around, I think the thing's a bit whatever... Um, But it's good to hear what Putin has to say, if you're interested. Um, There was an interview with um, Justin Molitano uh, with... um, What's his name? Anyway, on the the Putin... uh, On the the death, supposedly, of uh, Prigozhin. And basically, uh, it was Scott Ritter who was saying... Well, you know, uh, and there's this interview that they played from some time ago when Putin was like, you know, da da da. I'll forgive just about anything, but not um, uh, betrayal. And yeah, <laughs> Ritter's basically going, yeah, he's not going to be long for this world, Prigozhin, that is. And that was you know, just after the uh, failed coup, or call it what you want. Uh, so yeah, hardly surprising. Uh, who's and the other point that Ritter made was, of course, you'll never trace this back to Putin because he's not that stupid, right? So anyway, who's behind it all? Nobody will ever know apart from the people who did it. Um, and then we move on to uh, Maidan meltdown, Ukrainian chaos, and a Russian quagmire? Question mark by Gordon Hahn, uh, republished at Natalia's place. Um, just because I thought it was sort of interesting to have different voices, you know, analyses on the thing. I think I'm a bit over Ukraine, really. And then we have another one, uh, which I thought was quite weird and interesting, from uh, Peter Leveron, again republished it in Telly's Place, called Back in 1991, the US tried to prevent the USSR from collapsing. Why did Washington want its Cold War rival to survive? Again, interesting ideas. So I sort of throw these in. Uh, because, you know, it's good to read interesting stuffs. Uh, and on China, um, we had obviously that uh, summit between US, Japan, South Korea, uh, and an article here by Patrick Lawrence published at Consortium News called Biden's Pointless Asian Summit, you know, which produced this multi year military exercise. But anyway, Patrick Lawrence, brilliant writer. So, da da da, have a go with that one. Then we have on BRICS, we have the big article, which we'll get to in even more detail, called Welcome to the BRICS 11 by Pepe Escobar, published at the Cradle. And then he did a segment on uh, uh, Galway's Mother of All Talk Shows uh, program. And I include a link to that, uh, the YouTube uh, section on that, that was published uh, at Consortium News. And then uh, there's no corresponding interesting article from the Middle East uh, section that I could find. Uh, and then there's a collection of other three things. So the first one, The Crucifixion of Julian Assange by Chris Hedges. Again, great writer, you know, I think he's... And we know most of the story about Julian Assange, but always worth reading Hedges. And then an interesting one. This was originally uh, was by Jake Johnson, originally published at uh, Common Dreams. 
uh, and it is Ecuadorians reject oil drilling in Amazon region. Now, if you're um, into indigenous people's rights uh, and you think that, uh, you know, mining for oil and whatever underneath the Amazon is not a clever plan generally, then you'll be really happy about this. So essentially, they gathered sufficient, like 200,000 more than the minimum number of uh, signatures required to force a referendum in Ecuador. And this was, this was a project that was sort of partially begun but failed uh, by uh, Correa back in the day. This is when they were giving Assange um, uh, political asylum. Uh, and, but Correa couldn't see it through to a conclusion. Anyway, so but they finally got enough signatures together to force a referendum and... The Ecuadorians voted for for no more drilling for oil in this particular part of their um, uh, national forests, if you like, which is in the Amazon. Huge! It's a it's a million hectares of land. It's like a really a lot of stuff. It's also massive biodiversity. Yeah, they were saying there was some stat in the article which was like within one hectare of this uh, forest area, there are more species of trees then you'll find across all of all of Canada and all of the USA in one hectare. So it's incredible biodiversity and there's dealings of birds and etc. etc. Et so if you're into that sort of thing, check this out. Nice little article by Jake Johnson, uh, originally at Common Dream. And then the last other article is a really cool and interesting one. And I love Dana Johnston. She's getting on quite a bit, but she's still sharp as a tack. And the article is called A Voice Heard in the Land. And there's, there's been this uh, song put out by this guy uh, from the US. Uh, and I include that below. It's down below. So there's actually a musical part to this. Culture section below. Uh, and... It's interesting. So she she's gone. All right, and it, and this thing was like that. It was downloaded like eighty million times in a week, so it really struck a chord. And she's looked at the media's response to this, and they're all just trying to go. Ah, oh, it's all just right wing people. Da, da, da. They're trying to do the divide and rule stupid stuff. Um, anyway, and whereas she's looking at it, she's going. Oh, I think I had to get an idea about this. This is not. It's not a, it's not it's not left versus right or racist or any of that. This is working class stuff. This is workers' rights stuff. Like the working class have been shafted for forty years, and so which we know about because you know they shifted the jobs to Asia and da da da. da. And so she's just going, I, you know, I think this is a good this is a good explanation for what's going on here. So it's a good article, well written, um, and I'm sort of including it not because it's just it's a good article, but because it's Diane Johnstone. She doesn't public write that much these days and she's sharp as a tack, so keep your eye out eye out for her articles. And from what I know they appear only in consortium news. So yeah, keep your eye out for Diana Johnstone. She's been living in France, uh, Europe generally, but France specifically for fifty years, something. So she's really good on um European politics and French politics in particular too. But this is actually a song that was released in the US. So there you go. Uh, and so lastly, we'll move on to the, sec- the final section in which we'll be talking about BRICS 11. So the article is by Pepe Escobar and it's called Welcome to the BRICS 11. Published at the Cradle, see below for links, etc. 
Uh, and it is a his summary of the outcome of the 15th BRICS summit, which was held in Johannesburg, and is summarised uh, by the Johannesburg 2 Declaration, links to which he provides in the article, of course. And the summary of it is that BRICS just doubled in size in terms of number of nations. We'll get to who they are in a minute. But what... Pepe does is first of all just look at the financial statistics for a comparison between BRICS 11 uh, and the G7. So the new members, the six new members for BRICS, will be joining BRICS as of the 1st of January 2024, i.e., next calendar year, and that also happens to be the year that Russia takes over the rotating presidency of BRICS. For that year, so it's a very significant thing to occur when Russia takes over the rotating prem- uh, presidency. So let's look at the numbers, the stats uh, for these nations. So here we have uh, BRICS, BRICS Plus, uh, you know, the 11 members put together. Their total GDP, gross domestic product per year, is uh, 29. I'm going to forget the dot whatevers. The total uh, GDP in uh, purchasing power parity terms is 59.8, so 60. So we've got sort of 30 GDP, 60 in PPP terms, and the debt is 9. So the numbers to really remember are 30, 60, and 9. And remember that the ratio of GDP to debt is a very important ratio for economists because countries that have um, a production that is uh, dwarfed by their debt are in a lot of trouble as far as economists are concerned, right? So what we have here is something very healthy, right? It's 30 compared to 9 or it's 60 compared to 9, you know, against 9, depending on which numbers you want to use, the GDP or the PPP. Right, so now that's BRICS with the 11. Here is the G7. So the G7 is Italy, Canada, Japan, France, Germany, UK and the US. The total GDP is 43.5, so let's, let's just call it 45. And the GDP in purchasing power parity is 48.5, so let's just call it 50. So 45 and 50, right? Which is, you know, interesting. But then the total debt is 55.5, so let's just call that 55. So up above you had 30, 60, and 9. Here you've got 45, 50, and 55. So the 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 GDP, even expressed in PPP terms, ratio to debt is dreadful. It's right, so they have more debt. So, the, and this is interesting, right? Whereas all of the nations in the BRICS group are, their debt is way lower than their uh, purchasing power parity or uh, uh, GDP. It's very, very, very interesting. So the next one is, he goes, all right, where's all the oil? Because one of the new, two of the new members are Saudi Arabia uh, and the United Arab Emirates. And the answer is, where are the proven oil reserves? And the answer is, they are in the BRICS 11 countries. Right? So the total is what Canada's got 170,000 barrels and the USA has got 32 and others in the G7 have got bugger all. That amounts to about 200, roughly. Right? 200,000 million barrels or whatever it is, 200,000 thousand of something. So Saudi Arabia's got 260, 
Iran's got 200, Russia's got 80, so, you know, voomph, you're at 500 there already, and then UA is 111, and China's 25, and others, you're at five, you know, 600, and a bit, let's call it 650. So you're 200 versus 650, that's where the oil is, right? So this is the point that he's trying to drive home. Not only are they more healthy economically, as a, you know, national economists would look at things they also have all the oil and that makes a big difference because this is the point he's getting to that and that enables them to essentially work around a lot of the sanctions because a lot of the sanctions that are run by the west are based on oil and and so forth because they they need it so europe has no bloody oil so they need it from somewhere and then the U.S. has been, you know, in alliance with Saudi Arabia since the petrodollar days, actually since the end of the Second World War. Previously, it was the Brits playing around with that. And the same thing with Iran, right, and their oil. That was the 53 coup against Mossadegh. So <clears throat> what's happening here is that the key resources are shifting out of control of the old European white colonial masters and the, you know, the new American white colonial masters. So that's the point he's getting to. And this relates to the article that I was writing. I didn't quite express it in this way. But my feeling is that the BRICS slash SEO groups What's happening is there, I reckon, at most 10 years away from saying to the US and any part of Europe that wants to ally with them under some NATO-y, whatever, club of G7-y, screw you, do what we say, they're just going to say no. They're going to say no for a number of reasons. They're going to say, first of all, we don't give a crap about your market anymore. We're not interested in selling you anything terribly much. Thank you very much. Second of all, we don't not interested in your product. We don't want your weaponry. We don't like your, your social media apps that control our people. Right? And what else do you got to offer us? Bugger all. We don't like your financing system either. You can just piss off with that too. So we don't want to play with you no more. We're not going to sell you anything. We're not going to buy anything of yours. We don't want your stuff. Piss off. So, And you can take your sanctions and stick them up your rear end too. That's what's going to happen. right? At which point the US is absolutely pucked, right? Look at their, they, they've got a horrible debt to GDP ratio, as does, you know, the rest, of, well, some aren't as bad in the rest of the G7. So this is the whole point that I'm sort of trying to get to. This is where it goes. And we're not many years away from it, where the BRICS plus group just say, stick their middle finger up at the US and say, we don't care. If you want to go and start a war, that's going to fail too. You know, hypersonic missiles, blah, 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 all your aircraft carrier groups fucking duck, ducks in the water, as I've said in that article. It's like, they're just going to say, you can wage war against us if you want. You can destroy the entire planet with nuclear stuff and provocations and whatever, but we're hoping you're not going to do that. But apart from that, you can wage conventional warfare wherever you want. You'll, you'll get your asses handed to you and besides which we're just going to stop trading with you and you can fuck off and go and fix up your own country which is in complete shambles and your own population are going to overthrow your political system we don't have to do it right so anyway that's where I think it's going anyway so have a look at the article by uh, Escobar he's a lovely writer um, and he really jumps straight to the heart of the issue so the question is who are these six new members so obviously I shadowed on 
the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia and the United Arab Emirates, and the other four are, he said, uh, scrolling down. Egypt, very significant. Ethiopia, not so much, but it's another African nation. That's a good thing. Iran, big time significant. And the other one is Argentina, and that was lobbied for by Brazil, which I think was a really smart move. Uh, is a, is it's a, because it's an encroachment into what the 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 old uh, our backyard theory of uh, U.S. foreign policy. You know, we get the Western Hemisphere and the rest of the world. You know, but this is all ours, like North and South America. It's a bit like the game of Risk. Like, wow, we want that, and they're saying no. Nah, you're not going to have that either. You're not going to have all of Africa. We're taking bits of that. You're not going to have all of South America either. We're taking bits of that. It's like risk. It's very similar. We're going to die, deny you the continental army, army bonus. Um, so very significant in my view. And the other point that uh, Escobar makes is he says there's a lot of other nations lining up for it too. And here's the official list. Um, as listed by the South Africans after the uh, the summit. And the uh, nations in waiting are Algeria, Bangladesh, Bahrain, Belarus, Bolivia, Venezuela, Vietnam, Guinea, Greece, Honduras, Indonesia, Cuba, Kuwait, Morocco, Mexico, Nigeria, Tajikistan, Thailand, Tunisia, Turkey, and Syria. How about that? So it'll be interesting. There is one other point in this article which which touched upon the thing I was saying in mine. Because I conclude by saying, watch what the combination of loans to developing economies will be in the next few years from the combination of the International Monetary Fund, the IMF, and the World Bank. Right? So that'll be some number of loans that go out to the developing economies from them. And then I said, the other side of that is look at the, uh, the New Development Bank, that's the BRICS Bank, currently run by uh, Dilma Rousseff, and the Asia Infrastructure Investment Bank, that's the Chinese bank, that are basically bankrolling the BRI project, which is just about to hit its 10-year anniversary. So I said, you know, make a comparison on the two of those. And there is a point in here which is interesting, he says, searching for it, uh, which is that the New Development Bank is partially hamstrung. It's it's tied too much to the US dollar, and it's it's... Uh, sanctions uh, risk averse. So it doesn't want to make loans to developing economies that are potentially going to be the targets of US sanctions. So that sort of limits uh, its um, the clientele that they can loan to. Yeah. Uh, however, that's not the case for the Asian infrastructure, the Chinese bank, right? They do whatever they want. And here I want to tie back into something else I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, which is the article by, what's her name, Judith, I forgot. Anyway, it was about uh, the way China runs its economy. And, and one of the key points that she was making is that you've probably heard of the yuan, you've probably heard of the renminbi and gone, like, why the hell have they got two different currencies? Like, how does that work? And the answer is that the yuan is an internal, it's a national internal currency in China that they all trade in in China. But you can't use that outside of China. All of, the, all of Chinese, China's international trade is done in renminbi, and that's a controlled currency. So 
by the t- by separating the external currency from the internal currency, China has greater control over uh, shocks that come from changes in uh, international trade relations. It gives them a degree of, of flexibility and control that goes above and beyond having a single currency. And it, so the ultimate disaster is to do something like the euro, where you've got economies tied together with common fiscal policy. On the one hand, you've got Germany, you know, major technological exporting economy. And on the other hand, you've got Spain, <laughs> which is, you know, it's a different style of economy. Or Greece, for example. You're just different economies. And, you, you know, you need some degree of uh, flexibility in f- fiscal policy to be able to deal with changing circumstances for different sorts of economies. So China's is far more advanced than that. It's much more flexible. Anyway, so check out the article by Escobar. I think it's a, it's, a, it's a good hint about what's coming. And with that, that was Week in Review. Have a good one, wherever you be. Remember, smile at people. It's good for everyone. You too. Until next time. Mm-hmm.